Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word. All right, so join with me of Revelation 11. Uh, we are looking at the seventh trumpet judgment. And before we jump into this, let's go back to verse number 13. This is kind of where we left off. We were talking about the two witnesses there. And, uh, and this is uh, after they had ascended back to heaven. God had called them into heaven. We see in verse number 13 what has happened. It says, In the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain men of 7,000, and the remnant were frightened and gave glory to the God of heaven. And so now we're back here in Revelation 11 once again, and this verse reminds us that God deals in some miraculous things. As a matter of fact, this isn't the first time we've seen God work in an earthquake. For example, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, we saw that Jesus Christ, when He was uh, crucified on the cross and He gave up the ghost, we saw there was a massive earthquake at that time. Again, when Paul and Silas were in the, the jail in Philippi, in Acts chapter 16, verse 26, God used an earthquake to break loose their bonds and set them free. And this was the case also in Revelation chapter 6 and verse number 12. It says, when he opened the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake. Again, we see this time and again. And then we look forward in Revelation 16 and verse number 18. The Bible says that God will unleash an even greater earthquake than anything we have ever experienced on earth. It says, and there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so so great. God, listen, God is so incredible in His might. He will simply speak, and through His words, more devastation will be released than any bomb we can ever create. I tell you, we serve an awesome God tonight. We serve a God who is not weak, and that's something we've got to remember here in our minds as we face uh, different things in 2023 or four or whatever we're at. I don't even know. I almost said 2021. Talking about living in the past. But listen, when we face our day and age, we're reminded that our God is able. Maybe when you go back and sing that child song, He is able, He is able, I know He is able. I know my God is able to carry me through. And what a great reminder is we see there's just that jumping off point from verse number 13 and now this transitional verse of verse 14. As we begin to see God uh, close that second woe and begin to open that third woe, this seventh trumpet judgment will be unleashed here this, e this evening. Now, a couple of things is by way of reminder before we jump into the main text this evening. Remember where the church is in chrono uh, chronologically here at this time. Uh, the church is not, not on the earth. The church is in the air with our Lord. 
And so we're grateful uh, that as the bride of Christ, we'll be able to see uh, all that God has uh, allowed to transpire here on this earth. And in Revelation chapter 19, we see the church once again in verses number 11 through 16 as that bride comes with Jesus Christ in the air on white horses and obliterates all uh, that follow the Antichrist. Look in Revelation 11. We're going to read verses 14 through 19 as we just begin here this evening. And we look at this last part of this, this Revelation 11 together. And he says in verse number 14, The second woe is past, and behold... The third woe cometh quickly. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee great, uh, thy great power, and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath has come. And the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings, and voices, and thunderings, and an earthquake, and great hell. Let's stop and pray. Thank you, Lord, for the text of Scripture we get to study tonight. And I just pray that you would help, uh, help us, Lord, to see and understand. And Lord, uh, we realize that uh, we are blessed just by the reading. And Lord, help us, Lord, not to just to hear, but also be doers of the Word here tonight as we seek to grow and in, uh, in a greater love for you. And we labor together with Jesus Christ for those who are lost. So God, we pray for your help, your blessing, your guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight as we look here in Revelation 11, I'll remind you that uh, Christ has uh, gone through some different things here already in Revelation 11. If you go back to Revelation 6, you'll find that Jesus Christ received uh, that uh, seven-sealed scroll, and Jesus has removed all seven seals from that scroll, and that, uh, and that scroll would have contained the redemption terms of the earth. And now all of creation uh, is to be delivered from the curse. And what a glorious moment here as we see this angel announce that God's dealings with earth dwellers are almost over and righteousness is about to uh, take over in the earth. Revelation chapter 10, verse number 6, we see, And he swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things that therein are and the, and the earth and the things that there are, there are, therein are and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. God has given them a warning. He says, listen, we're coming down to the end, and, and we have, uh, and from ch in chapter 11, as we started this chapter, remember, it's kind of a parenthetical moment in this, this study, and then he opens now with this uh, quick glimpse into heaven as, uh, as this final trumpet is blown, and then it will uh, begin again in chapter 12, 13, and 14 with uh, the remainder of those, uh, that little parenthetical period. But when this seventh angel sounds, it won't cause just a little stir in heaven. It'll be a great thing that happens. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, as we just read, that John heard great voices. There was an announcement that the, the kingdoms of this world have become like the kingdoms of our God. Uh, man and the devil have been in power for 6,000 years, but praise the Lord. Well, what we're going to see that day is the Lord will be taking over what rightfully belongs to Him. Psalm 24 says, The earth 
is the Lord's. It's not yours. It's not mine. You know, we may buy a piece of ground, but really it doesn't belong to me anyway. It belongs to Him. Amen? I just get to borrow it for a while. And it says, and then we see that He is preparing to take His seat on the throne. Isaiah chapter 9. I love this passage of Scripture. We oftentimes read it this time, uh, this time of year. And because it says it has both a prophecy of His first and second coming all tied together. I love this. In verse number 6, For unto us a child is born, Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now we're dealing with a second coming. We had a first coming, now the second coming. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. That is a great future prophecy for us. That's a day when we will see our Lord and Savior literally sitting upon the throne in Jerusalem. No longer will we uh, see these peace treaties made and broken and made and broken, but instead we will see His peace reign over the earth. Man, what a glorious thing. Isn't it wonderful that God gives these promises? And and sometimes we wonder how in the world could uh, they have missed Jesus as being the Messiah? Well, if you've ever been in the mountains, you could see, uh, if you stand on one peak, you can see what looks like just a series of peaks over and over and over again, just as far as the eyes can see. We were up in Colorado Springs, Colorado, back in, I think, 2014, and, and I climbed up on this great big boulder as high as I could get up, and, and, and my wife would let me go up as high as I could go. Uh, and, and I was up there, and I'm just looking. I said, you should come up. I'm way down. I'm way up here. You should come up here and see. And she said, no, thank you. And you could see peak after peak after peak after peak. But you know what you couldn't see? You couldn't see all the stuff in between. It was an incredible sight to see. Because in one direction, I could see the, the valley floor, and the other direction was peak after peak, and just spreading out for miles and miles and miles. But I, I couldn't tell you what was in those valleys. All I could tell you was was in the peaks. And oftentimes as the Old Testament saints would come to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6, they would see, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. They didn't see the valley between that statement and the next one, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. So when they saw Jesus Christ and he came as a lamb to the slaughter, they didn't didn't accept him because they thought the, the Messiah will come to destroy the Roman government and to set up the government on his shoulder. It'd be easy to reject him if you don't see the valley in between. But Isaiah also, later in Isaiah 53, would also pick up what that would look like. Uh, And so Isaiah gives us a great picture of all of those things. And I just want to encourage you as we study uh, Revelation, God gives us some of those mountain peak moments. And we see some, some big things as we study prophecy. There's going to be some other things that we don't always see well. Luke chapter 1 and verse 32, he says this, And he shall, be, uh, he shall be great and be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. The glorious thing is the Bible teaches us that he will sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem, and the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters do. Man, I tell you, the curse will be lifted, and we will have peace on earth, good will toward men. Won't that be a glorious day? Man, we are so looking forward to the day when we see peace that reigns on this earth. And we're, as we go into Christmas season, oftentimes we, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem as we are seeking God to, uh, to bring salvation to His people. We are praying that God would allow peace to reign in our, even our own country as we see uh, just the, the different factions that pull and war against truth. 
But as we come to Revelation 11, we see this, uh, this kind of this, this pointing to what this third woe will bring. And so we see in verse number 16, a couple of just the highlights here. We're going to cover them a little bit more in, in depth in just a moment. It says, And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell on their faces and worshipped God. These cry out in praise. In verse 17, Jesus came the first time as a babe in a manger. He was a tender lamb. But when He comes the second time in Revelation, it's not as that tender lamb, but He's coming in power. He's coming in authority. He's coming to take vengeance on them that know not and reject Him. And He will not bleat like a sheep. Instead, what we're going to hear, He's going to roar like the lion, the lion out of the tribe of Judah. I tell you, folks, we serve a great God tonight. Listen, as we come to Revelation 11, we are coming to a place where we see a climax of all that is happening in Revelation, of all that's going to happen in the affairs on this earth. Psalm chapter 1 and verse number 4 through 6, as he talks about the ungodly here, he talks about something, what's, what's happening in the hearts of them. And he says, The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And Psalm was, even, even there, was pointing us in Revelation to this fact that these ungodly will perish in this moment. Psalm chapter 37, verses 9 through 17. Again, he predicts, For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Amen? Isn't that good? This is great promises. Just, just latch hold of this for a moment. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Man, did you get tired of watching the wicked advance in this world today? We see the George Soroses, and we see the, uh, the other uh, factions of this world that are growing in power and evil and their influence. And we think, man, wouldn't it be nice if those people were just removed from, from this earth? Well, that's what he says will happen for yet a little while. And the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth. Jesus again repeats this in Matthew. And he says, listen, the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Listen, Christian, if you, you get down and discouraged watching all of this, the world crumble and fall apart and the wicked, wicked and the evildoers seeming to grow stronger and more in your face day by day, let me encourage you. The meek shall inherit the earth and, and, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. It goes on and says, The wicked plotted against the just and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him. For he seeth that his day is coming. Isn't that wonderful? He says, keep, keep trying, Satan. And he just looks at us and at all this foolishness that's going on, and he says, the day is coming. And I believe that day is coming soon. It says, the wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy and to slay such as be of an upright conversation. Their swords shall enter into their own hearts and their bows shall be broken. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. Church, let me just encourage your heart today. We still serve the God of gods and the Lord of lords and the King of kings. 
Man, if, if Revelation has taught me anything, it's this. My God still is God. And I'm so thankful that He is still God tonight. Sorry about the bad grammar. Listen, as we come to Revelation 11, there's going to be some nasty judgments that follow. The seventh trumpet will unleash the most intense, the most remarkable, and the most numerous, and the most ghastly and horrific moments in heaven and on earth. We don't see anything like this that's outlined anywhere else from Revelation 11 and on. And these remaining chapters of Revelation record uh, the time of Jacob's trouble. It is the great tribulation period. And so the blowing of this, uh, this trumpet, though, as we look in Revelation 11, it, it does not necessarily initiate anything right away on earth, but instead we see what it is, is it's like that breaking of the seal. I think I've got a, 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 just a picture there. If you remember uh, when we looked at this before, that we have, oh, there it is. All right, the seven seals right here. And we come to that seventh seal and it unleashed the seven trumpets. And we get to that uh, seventh trumpet now, this third woe, and it's going to release the seven vials of judgment. And that's what we're going to be preoccupied with in the remainder of the tribulation period. And so what, so what we see in this passage is occurring really exclusively in heaven. And as the scene unfolds, it introduces activities that project a deeper meaning to the earth that will be disclosed later. But let me just give you kind of a layout of what's about to happen in Scripture uh, so that we can see what happens after Revelation 11, kind of give you a precursor to what's coming. And for example, in chapter number 12, we see a great persecution of God's children. In chapter number 13, we see the Antichrist and the false prophet in chapter 13 there. And we see his descriptive. And now these are not necessarily happen after this point, but this is where God chose to include them. And they've been happening along the way, uh, but will really be amped up here at the end. In chapter 14, there is a heavenly vision. In chapter 15, we see the introduction to the last half of the tribulation. And so we have uh, really chapter 15 takes off with those that last uh, of this. Uh, of the judgments here. Uh, but as for now, we're going to focus really this on this heavenly setting. And there's some great events that happen on earth, but really beyond that, uh, what we're looking at right now is what's about to happen when this trumpet does blow in heaven. And so look in verse number uh, 15 with me once again. In Revelation eleven fifteen, 15, it says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven. The very first thing that we see is these great voices. John heard these singing in heaven. Evidently, I don't know if it was an angelic chorus or what, but it was interesting that from now through Revelation nineteen eleven, Revelation mentions many times that voices will be heard. From angels' voices to the shouting for the fall of Babylon, even one voice that cries out for a harvest, there will be voices of accomplishment, voices of praise and promise of a righteous reign of Jesus. But there's two things that the Bible speaks of here that these voices mention in verse number 15. It says, the very first one is, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. So these angels will announce in heaven that the beginning of the last half of the tribulation period, that the one world kingdom of the Antichrist will be conquered by the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Let me just remind you, Christ does win in the end. And so when Jesus was found worthy to open the, the seven-sealed scroll in Revelation 5, He took it and began removing the seals. And we remember that as we walk through that. And the seventh trumpet is found under the last of the seals. And from the moment that Jesus took the book 
until this moment, all along the way, what we have seen is the unfolding of these judgments. And during the entire course of events, there has been uh, a lot of heavenly interest and, and attention and excitement for this building, uh, like a building of momentum as we are coming to the climax and, uh, uh, of the events that will uh, unfold here. And so when the seven trumpet sounds, what we see is everything in heaven and all of creation breaks out with thunderous praises and shouts and amen and songs of victory here. And then the second thing that they mention is that He shall reign forever and ever. Now in the Greek language, this means uh, in the strongest, is the strongest term possible uh, and it literally means ages of ages. It's unceasing. It's unending. When Christ sets up His rule and reign, there will be nothing that will ever dethrone Him. Amen. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? I just think about that and I think about all the, the crazy that goes on at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Amen. And I'm thinking, Lordy, have mercy. One of these days, my Lord and my Savior is going to sit on a throne that will, and He will never be dethroned ever. Listen, rebellion will break out, though, at the end of his thousand-year reign. And at the end of that reign, Satan will be loosed for a season. But our glorified Lord will quell it quickly. I have no doubts that God's going to take care of it. The Bible says in Psalms 146, verse 10, The Lord shall reign forever. Even thy God, O Zion, unto all generations, praise ye the Lord. Exodus 15 and verse 18, The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Listen, we have a great reason tonight to celebrate. Not just the, the, a baby in a manger, but a king who reigns. A king who is alive tonight. A king who will set up his kingdom here on this earth. And, and I tell you, I'm thankful for my country, but I can't wait for that glorious appearing of our Lord. Man, what a day that will be. So we see the voices. The second thing we see are the 24 elders, verse 16. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God. Once again, we're met with these 24 elders in the Scripture. And once again, they have been exalted, but they will prostrate themselves before Jesus Christ. At the blowing of the trumpet and the sound of the great voices, they fell on their faces Imagine this. Imagine if you were in heaven and you beheld this scene, or even if you were in the presence of a, of a great president or a great king, uh, what would your response be when the trumpets would blow and everybody would, uh, would shout? What would your response be? I can't imagine. I, I can't imagine, but, but their response, I think, was incredible, and it teaches us a couple of things about the character of people that, that are in heaven but look what it says first here, verse 16. And they fell upon their faces and worshipped God. They didn't just kneel. They literally prostrated themselves before the Lamb of God. There is no vanity. There is no selfishness in heaven. There is no pride in this moment. All praise is directed to the Omnipotent One. You see, everyone is willing to prostrate themselves before the Lamb of God. And so these 24 elders, they literally put themselves, though they were exalted by God, though they're, they're, they're lifted up, they literally bow themselves completely to Jesus Christ. Why? Because He is King of kings. 
He is still Lord. Church, let me just encourage you with this tonight as I just went over Revelation 11. I couldn't help but see time and time again that our God is God and there is none like Him. And we have got to be reminded in this world of chaos, in this world where it seems like what's right is wrong, what's wrong is right, and everything is, is backwards from what it should be, we've got to be able to still say in our hearts, My God is still God. There's no one else. So let's look at their song. Because they sing, I love this, that they worshipped God. Verse 17, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee great, thy great power and hast reigned. We're going to stop right there. We'll look at the second part in a moment. But there we see that this song is a song of praise. They literally come before God and they say, Lord, we want to just extol your name. We want to praise you. And, and truly, that should be our heart cry every single day. And everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Listen, if those saints could, can bow themselves before Jesus Christ then, why can't we do it now? Why can't we just be willing to come before God, before Him? Remember, this is a time on earth when uh, literally all hell is breaking loose here on this ground. And, and, and it is a time when, when God is pouring out His wrath and men are dying. And it is, it is a tremendous time of great agony and pain. It is a time when, when the world is, is in chaos. And yet these men, they fall down and they give thanks to God. Listen, our world is not that much different than theirs. May we be willing to come and give thanks to our Lord. Not just at Thanksgiving, but every single day. We give thanks, O Lord God Almighty. I would encourage you, I'm not going to take the time tonight, but I would encourage you to take and to consider Lord God Almighty. Why would He use those words? A little bit of word study challenge for you this week to take it home and work on it in your personal private time. But listen, these elders, when they ascribed uh, uh, praise to Jesus Christ, they were uh, indicating that they anticipate in heaven the final stage of God's activity on earth. And they're anticipating that this is coming to the end, that the climax is coming, that, that uh, Christ is about to truly be exalted above all the earth. The Bible says in Revelation, or excuse me, in, in Philippians chapter 2, that one day every knee shall bow, every tongue pro, uh, con, uh, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so this song is a song of rejoicing, a, a rejoicing that the King will set up His kingdom. It says, they, they literally said, because thou hast uh, taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. Listen, Christ hadn't reigned on the earth at this point, literally, but he will. And one day when we get to be part of that and we get to see all of that with our, our eyes, we won't be able to do anything but fall prostrate before him and sing praise. Now, there's three things, and they make three predictions in verse number 18 that we see. And the first one is, the nations were angry and thy wrath has come. So the time of His coming, the nations will resent His coming and rebel against Jesus Christ. Listen, we see that happen today. Uh, people hate Christians. They hate Christ. They, as a matter of fact, uh, I was just watching something the other day and they mocked Christ at Christmas. And I thought of all the times uh, for us to to, uh, to be able to at least agree on one thing, that Jesus is the reason for this season, he was mocked and made fun of. Listen, the world hates Jesus. 
But God is about to judge the wicked in final judgment. He's about to reward all of His prophets and His servants. There will be a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. The saints will be put on display in the pearly white city. Satan will be put on the pit. All sin and all unrighteousness will be removed from the earth. The Antichrist and the wicked will be put down. They become ex- and, and as a result of this, they become exceedingly angry and a great war breaks out. Look in Psalms 2 in your Bible. Psalms chapter 2. We're going to read that whole chapter together. As we come to Psalms 2, it's a prophetic psalm as we come to this, and we see uh, some of the truths that God lays out for us. In Psalms chapter 2, if you have a Bible like mine, it has a little subtitle underneath it, The Reign of God's Anointed. But I just want to read this with you. It says, Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. Remember, that's what they just prophesied in Revelation 11 and verse number 18. The nations were angry and thy wrath has come. He said, The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh and the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall He speak unto them in His wrath and vex them in His sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's will. Be wise now, therefore, O kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and ye perish from the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are they that put their trust in Him. Man, what a blessing that God is even in the Old Testament pointed to this wonderful day of the Lord. So we see the very first one, the anger that is, that is present. The second thing, in the time of the dead, that they should be judged. And this refers to Old Testament saints and, and tribulation saints who, who have been slain. And it doesn't necessarily refer to the, old, uh, the unbelievers but, uh, who will be judged a thousand years later at the end of the millennium. Revelation 11, uh, verses 20 through 25, or excuse me, uh, I think it's 20 verses uh, and following, deals with that great white throne of judgment. But we see here, there is a, uh, in Psalm chapter 50, he deals with this. So look back in your Old Testament again, Psalm chapter 50, verses 1 through 6. He says, The mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. Our God will shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour, devour before him, and that shall be very tempestuous round about him. And he shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. And listen, he says, Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice, and the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself, Selah. 
Here the Lord is seen once again, not in heaven, but in the air, calling to those saints who are still, uh, and He calls them. Uh, we see this, just like in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. It says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This will be a call those for those saints then who are uh, to be joined uh, together. And, and the Lord, uh, just a glorious time as they, as they mentioned this, here in verse number 18, the time of the dead and they that should be judged, that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets. And so he again rewards those Old Testament saints who will be resurrected and will be there together with the Lord. Now, the third thing that they mention in this last portion of Scripture, it says, and shouldest destroy them who destroy the earth. Now, as we look here, we see Jesus Christ will take the Antichrist and the beast and the false prophet, we see uh, he will take them alive and he'll throw them into the lake of fire. Revelation 19 and verse 20, it says, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that had wrought miracles before him, which, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. Both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And so we see that even the followers of the Antichrist, all human beings who, uh, who die without Christ, will go soul and spirit into the place of torment. This was the destiny of the rich man in Luke 16. And when the great, great white throne happens, then they will also uh, appear for their final judgment and be cast into the lake of fire. Again, we're looking forward to, uh, as they pro make these proclamations, they are looking forward to God fulfilling the prophecies that have been given in Revelation. Just as they, uh, we know them tonight, they know them then. Just as we look forward to them now, they look forward to them then. And there's one last thing that we get a glimpse of in Revelation 11 and verse number 19. It says, And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in His temple the ark of His testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thundering, uh, thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. A couple of things we can learn here is there's a literal temple in heaven. The tabernacle and the temple of the Jews were copies of that temple in heaven. Exodus chapter 25, verse 40, it says, and looked out uh, that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mount. And so the Holy Spirit also spoke to Paul in the words concerning the tabernacle and in the temple, Hebrews 9.23. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So at one time, we see, uh, if you go back in your mind, in, in your Bible, we remember when God visited His creatures in the Garden of Eden. He walked with Adam in the cool of the garden, is what the Bible says. He spoke directly to many of the Old Testament saints in, in the Old Testament era. But tragically, sin appeared. And when sin appeared, it broke this union between heaven and earth. And that worship that was once very close was now broken and was wrecked. And that perfect unity and harmony between man and God was, was, was severed. But thank the Lord for the second Adam. Amen? Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, He redeemed by His blood all of us. Those who put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, His blood saves us and bridges the gap uh, of those things that were once broken. And so we can come into His presence. And so when I, when I spend time with the Lord, when I pray with Him, when I come to church, when I'm in His Word, I, I get the privilege of walking hand in hand with Him. Maybe I don't have His literal hand with me, but His presence is nonetheless still very real. And so one day, when we get to heaven, 
that sweet union between heaven and earth will be fully restored. Listen, our prayers, when, when the disciples asked Christ, Lord, teach us to pray, He taught them in that prayer, Matthew 6, 10, He says, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done as it is in heaven. One day the oneness between heaven and earth will be restored. And this is the picture that Revelation 21 and 22 show us where you have the new heaven and the new earth and working beautifully together as God originally intended. But there's something else that's interesting here because God gives John the Revelator a little glimpse into that temple. It says, "...and the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in His temple the ark of His testament." This is, this is uh, what a glorious thing to be, that God would point out that this is their presence. All the promises, all the covenants, all that God has done, His people uh, and, and shared with us are uh, protected and, and kept in that ark. Listen, God has made promises us, to us. In Titus chapter number 1 and verse number 2 says, God cannot lie. And God's promises that He's made, the promise that one, if we put our trust in Him, He will save us. The second one, that He is coming again. The third one, that He will set up a literal reign. He will be the righteous judge. Listen, all of these promises that we have in Scriptures, the one that He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Listen, the promises of God are forever settled in heaven. Listen, He's never going to disappoint us. His promises will always be kept. And that sacred ark, what we see there is that those promises are safely stored, protected, preserved by the hand of our God in heaven and not one word of God's promise will ever be forgotten, will never be obsolete, it will never die, it will never, uh, God will never break His promise, He will never lie to us, He can now uh, be proven untrue, He will keep every single word of His promises to us and to the people of Abraham. And what is awesome is that now, as we see the end of time approaching, the time is at hand, when we see all of this, especially as Revelation 19, 11 here is unfolding, what they're saying is we are seeing the fulfillment of God's promises right now. If you go back in the Old Testament, it was encouraging to go back and to see all the different blessings that came with the Ark of the Covenant. The Jordan River was rolled back beneath the shadow of the ark. It was the walls of Jericho fell down before it. It was the enemies of God were scattered when the ark appeared. Where it rested, uh, the thousands of Israel dwelt in safety wherever it was. And its appearance once again in Revelation is a token of the recurrence of all the wonders and the might and the magnificence of who God is. And, and really, we see that this is going to be even, even a greater scale than it ever was in the Old Testament era. It's the announcement that God will fulfill all that He has spoken and all that He has promised, and we can trust in Him. Church, we never have to doubt, can we trust the Word of God? We can trust Him. So we must ask ourselves as we come to this place, do I trust Him? Do I trust His promises today? Do I trust His Word is still true? Do I trust that, that uh, if I put my faith in Him, that He is able to save me to the uttermost? Do I trust His promises? And the greatest thing you need to settle tonight is, are you born again? Have you, have you yourself accepted the promise that of, of Jesus Christ as your Savior? 
For Listen, the Bible says that Christ, just as Christ's first coming was real, just as it was fulfilled, so Christ's second coming is real and will be fulfilled. And so if you don't know for sure if your sins are washed away, I urge you right now, tonight, before we go any further, that you right now would bow your head and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Bible says in 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. What is he talking about? He's referencing the cross of Jesus Christ. He's referencing the grace of God, that unmerited favor that would allow me who is a, a sinner to be able to accept the forgiveness of God and be able to have a home in heaven. He says, what, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Man, what a glorious thing that is. And it is made available to every man and woman and child who is of understanding age tonight that you can be saved. In verse number 2, he says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. What was the change? I was a sinner. I was the child of the devil. But now I am a son of God. And that change happened on January 31st, 1988, when I said, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I trust in Jesus as my Savior. And in Him, I put my confidence and I ask Him to come and dwell in my life. He was the change. And no longer am I the child of the devil. Now I'm the child of God. It says, and now behold, beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. Isn't that glorious? For we shall see Him as He is, and every man that hath this hope in Him is purified himself, even as He is pure. Here's the reality. If you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have a hope and that is sure and eternal in the heavens. If you reject Jesus Christ at your death, you will open your eyes in hell. Don't wait. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's Word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for His help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked His disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And He offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?